0: Hey everybody, Happy Easter. Pastor Joe here. Welcome to another episode of Bothell Amplified. Uh, Today we share the sermon from our Easter services. Uh, We look at Mark chapter 16 as the women go to the tomb that very early morning. Uh, We see that they encounter the man in white who tells them to go to Galilee. And we see how our text ends with them being afraid. And what does it mean for us as resurrected people to still live into that fear? of how the world operates around us with brokenness and with pain, but how resurrection also calls us forth into a new way of being. Check out this sermon. We'll see you soon. We practiced this a little bit when uh, we had time with our young and young at heart, but there's a call and a response I'd love to try with you. It it goes like this. I'll, I'll say Christ is risen, and you say he is risen indeed, okay? Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen There's something about that word, indeed. Indeed. It's, it, it, it's this adverb that's it's used to emphasize a statement or a response that confirms something already suggested. It's, it's this word that really pushed forward the statement of truth but what do you do with this word indeed when the thing that you are saying indeed to doesn't always feel like truth? Because the reality is that in our world, in all that we know in life, risen, it doesn't make sense, right? There's birth, there's death, and there's a circle of life that cycles again and again In all that we know In all that we have experienced, death is final. Some of you may know this, but uh, when our son was younger, uh, he had a couple of febrile seizures. And if you, if you met him or you saw him, you'll, you'll know that he's, he's doing fine, he's active, he's healthy, he's full of energy. But, but for some kids, uh, as they are uh, still figuring out their body, their bodies can't control the rising temperature in their bodies. And so basically, they, they shut down as a safety measure so that their body can cool. And so one morning, uh, we're, we're eating breakfast and, and we had just finished and we, we check his temperature. He's one and a half around this time and he's starting to feel warm. Uh, And that's when I experienced the scariest moment of my life, He, he started to seize. And as I picked him up, I felt him go limp in my arms as he was struggling to breathe. And it was the longest eight minutes of my life as we waited for him to slowly regain control to come to now, he was thrilled to meet the paramedics and to play with the lights of the fire trucks that was blocking our driveway, and, and we played. And, and for him, life continued as if nothing had happened, but, but I was a mess. At one point, in, in fact, throughout the day, I, I had to sneak away to a different room. I, I fell to my knees crying, crying out of relief, but also crying out of fear, crying, because in our world, death is final. See, this truth that, that, that death is final, it's the same truth that the women from our text carry with them as they make their way to the tomb early that morning. For three years, they followed this Jesus, laughing with him, crying with him, providing for him, nurturing him. He was their rabbi, their teacher, He was their friend, and they put their trust in this Jesus, this Jesus who had the power to heal and to cast out demons. They journeyed with him all those years, and they watched him die. So they go to the tomb, and they go to the tomb, bringing with them the spices as they have physically and emotionally prepared themselves to encounter death, not life, They are resigned to this reality that that Jesus is now dead. What do we do now? The Sabbath is over, and their spices are prepared and packed, and they go to anoint a corpse. So imagine their surprise when the man dressed in white tells them to go to Galilee. Go to Galilee. Go to that place where you first met Jesus where his ministry began. Go to where you witnessed him teaching and healing, feeding and inspiring. Go to where you nurtured him and cared for him, where you became his friend and he yours. But if we go deeper in the text, when we look at the first 10 chapters of Mark, when we actually look at what happened in Galilee, the the commandment wasn't just to remember times of good that had passed. Theologian Lance Pape says that the Galilean ministry in the early chapters is a place of profound misunderstanding, that even his closest followers cannot seem to figure out who this Jesus is or what he is up to. And so when when this man in white tells the women to go to Galilee, what they're really saying is to go where you were once clueless about his identity where you didn't understand the significance of his ministry. Go to where you had more questions than answers, where you had doubts and confusion. Go there and go with your fears. But go remembering that the one you seek, this Jesus of Nazareth, is already on his way. I love how our text ends with verse eight. So they went out fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. They were afraid, that's how it ends. So if you open your Bibles to Mark chapter 16, you'll find that actually the rest of the chapter goes on for about 12 or 13 more verses, but most theologians now, they agree that the original manuscript of the Gospel of Mark ends with verse eight. The rest of it was added later. So in other words, according to the original text, there is no Jesus appearing to Mary or to the other disciples. In the original text, there's no commission to go and preach the gospel. There's no Jesus ascending to heaven. There's none of that stuff. It ends with verse eight. It leaves us hanging there saying, they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And for me, that's really comforting. It's really comforting that the text ends with them afraid. I remember it was uh, 2004, and I'm uh, working as a camp counselor for one of the uh, United Methodist camps in East Ohio. It's called Camp Asbury. And it was one of the most formative summers of my life. It's when I overcame my fear of heights on the ropes course. It's where I fell in love with canoeing. I learned to experience the sacredness of nature, to walk and to contemplate, to reflect. I learned to appreciate a particular spiritual practice that involved jumping into an icy cold lake at five in the morning every week. The director said it would remind me of my baptism. it was also at this Camp Asbury where, where I, I renewed my desire to share my faith. See, I wasn't going to church in college. I, I was feeling burned out from all the years of being a pastor's kid, but I needed a job. And so with my limited experience and my less than stellar resume, I took what I could and church camp was what would have me. And so it was halfway through the summer and, and I meet this amazing boy, uh, Russ. He's in seventh grade. And Russ, with all of his joy, with all of his excitement, it was really clear that he did not want to be at camp. I mean, he participated, he was fine, but he never really fully engaged, you know what I mean? And I remember it was one of the free times, and, and, and the c- director called and said, hey, hey, hey Russ, you got to come uh, talk to your mom, so come, come use the phone. And I watched as he made his way up to the camp office, and I waited and watched him come back with tears just roll, uh, rolling down his face, tears in his eyes, and we found a bench. He and I, we, we moved away from the other campers, and we talked for a little bit, and he just unloaded. I mean, he and his mom had just moved to a new town. He was having trouble fitting in. He hadn't made any friends, and because of that, he, he often acted out in school. And even after only a few months, he was, he was already labeled as a troublemaker, and it turns out that on the last year of school, Russ and a couple others had, uh, were involved in some elaborate prank that left the whole cafeteria trashed and food everywhere. And when he was at camp, the principal met with his mom, and while there were other kids involved, it was uh, decided that Russ was the ringleader, and he would start the school year suspended came out. So unfair. Why me? This sucks. I hate my town. I hate my school. All of this just flew out of his mouth as I stood there listening, and, and I couldn't do nothing. And so I said, hey, Russ, wh- what if we prayed together? And he looked at me and goes, do you think I want to pray right now? I said, Let's try. Let's try. Dear God, life sucks for Russ right now. His friends are jerks. Life just isn't fair. He hates all that's happening around him. I open my eyes and I see him staring back at me and he whispers, you can't say sucks to God. I'd like to think that something sacred happened for Russ in that moment, something transformative. I think for the first time, Russ could connect to a God who would accept all of him. Not just the joyful parts, not just the parts that he chose to present, but that God would accept all of him. See, I, th- I think we are conditioned to experience our faith through that lens of positivity, of joy, and especially on Easter. We think of sunshine, and bunnies, and and rainbows, and spring. We, We think of only the empty tomb, and we think that all is well in the world, but it's not. It's not. Remember Jesus? He entered into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday for the festival of Passover to be with his fellow Jews, to worship at the temple, to remember and to celebrate their freedom from slavery in Egypt all those years ago. And he enters into Jerusalem on that donkey to the shouts of, Hosanna, Lord, help us. Hosanna, Lord, save us. Help us from the oppressive rule of the Roman Empire. Save us from the empire. Because in those days, Rome was growing. Rome is expanding, Rome is conquering, and Rome is maintaining peace by squashing any sign of threat, of rebellion, of hope, of life outside their rule. And to them, in their eyes, Jesus is that threat. He preached this new kind of kingdom. He completely contradicted the ways of the world that's marked by hierarchy and power and injustice and oppression. He called for love, he called for welcoming, he called for belonging, and for that radical message of inclusion and beloved community, he's arrested, he's sentenced, he's crucified as a political prisoner, He's crucified in the sign of Roman dominance, a a public display of cruelty and power. He's crucified in a manner reserved solely for the most extreme political crimes, treason, rebellion. He's crucified as an enemy of the state. And it's in this reality, right? It's in this context. Where it's no wonder that Mary and Mary and Salome, they were afraid. It's okay for them to be afraid because the world wasn't as it was supposed to be. It's okay for us to be afraid because the world is not as it's supposed to be. If the crucifixion then was an act of the state, Right. If the crucifixion was an act by the ways of the world, then resurrection must be political and must be a social act of God against those ways of the world. Resurrection has to be new. Resurrection must bring revolution in our hearts, in our relationships, in our communities. Resurrection must transform the ways we do life. What does that look like? Dr. King puts it this way. He says, the resurrection is a symbol of God's triumph over the forces that seek to block community. So perhaps resurrection might change the way that we see each other. Perhaps resurrection might change the ways in which we talk to one another. Perhaps resurrection might stop us from harming each other, from killing each other. Perhaps it might bring an end of violence, of war, of death, of hate. Perhaps resurrection might bring us life. So here's my prayer. But today, while we celebrate in community, while we come together as beloveds in community, celebrating Christ's victory over death, I hope and pray that our faith journeys don't stop there. Easter can't be the finale or the culmination of our faith. It has to be a restarting, a recommitment in our journeys to to live into our purpose of becoming Christ in the community. It's a recommitment that through the pains and brokenness of our world that we are declaring that we will offer life, offer abundance, Saying that when we proclaim that He is risen indeed, we say it with conviction and boldness to inspire us to live our lives as resurrected people challenging the ways of the world. He is risen. God, we give you thanks for this time together, for an opportunity to be together in community, to have our hearts transformed and changed. We pray that you would make us bold to be your people, that we would see the world anew, that resurrection would be that inciting event for us where we declare that you are leading us, that you are guiding us, that there is no room for war or hate, but for love and life alone. It is in Christ's holy name that we pray. Amen. All right, that was our Easter sermon. Hope you and your loved ones had a great day of celebrating the resurrection to declare that Christ is risen, that he is risen indeed. Have a wonderful, wonderful week, and we'll see you next week uh, as we look at environmental justice and climate justice and the ways that we operate in the world. Uh, Talk to you soon.